And welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell, and that would be Randall Carlisle. I see we uh, dress together today. Or, or not. Okay, okay, yeah. 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 I'm newly married. Yeah. I don't oh, want, okay. I want this wedding right. to... You know. Our shirts happen to match. Is that better? <laughs> much, much <laughs> better. And today we have some star power. Here. No, we, we have real star power. Now, here's, here's the problem. I've been trying to get Casey for a long time. And I talked to his agent, and he told me it'll take $10,000 to get him on a podcast. So I've been raising money for like several months so that we could finally get you on a podcast. A GoFundMe. Yes, so and your agent. checks in the yeah. mail, Casey. And with that $10,000, I'm going to buy you guys new blue shirts. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. I'm actually going to button mine up now. I came in a little Oh, late. it's that kind of podcast. Oh, this is very formal. And we want to say, by the way, show number 35. Wow. Well, that is, uh, and we want to thank the guy who makes it possible, Lee, who has done an amazing job putting this together. And we also want to thank Bill Francis with Comcast. And so we were very happy. And we were uh, bragging about the fact, Casey, that we have listeners all over the world. International. Yes. I mean, this is, this is an international. The guy who's drinking vodka in Russia, if you, if you would just email us or something, I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> this, is, this is sort of unique if you think about it. You got Lee behind the camera and the three of us are all recovering alcoholics. Yeah. Bud Light was my uh, DOC. That was mine too. Bud Light? Yeah, Bud Light. That was mine too. And I, yeah. used, I used to make my wife and girlfriend so mad because we'd go to these fancy places and they'd be like, hey, do you want this expensive beer? And I was like, do you have any Bud Light? Yeah, exactly. Or I would go to a microbrewery and I go, what tastes most like Bud Light? Yeah, right. And then they would send you to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they would go, this guy's an idiot. Well, yeah. it, it is funny how you get tied in, and these marketing companies do an amazing job, but I'll show you how cheap I was. Natural Light. Yeah. That's even cheaper than Bud Light. Bud Light is expensive. I mean, you know, you're a high-priced anchorman. Yeah, I, well, I was a sportscaster. We didn't make <laughs> the big bucks. Back in the day, they paid enough so I could afford Bud Light. Yeah. Right? But it, it is funny because I just got married uh, last month in St. Louis, and a lot of my friends did the Anheuser-Busch brewery tour, and they asked if I wanted to go, and I said, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, well, anyway, let's introduce our guest. A.C. Scott, the famous and infamous A.C. Yeah. Scott. A little of both. Yeah, you saw him on Channel 2, Channel 5. 13. 13. I've, done the, I've done the rounds. You've made the rounds. I started in radio, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been good to me. You, but you had a drawback along the way. I had multiple drawbacks yes. on, on along the way, and I had one that was out in front, public, for everyone to see. But if I look back... There was many times that alcohol had threatened or jeopardized my career. And I always would kind of, you know, I've got a little over 13 months of sobriety under my belt yeah, now. We do yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, with a clear head. Lee, put, don't applaud. Yeah. Shake the camera. Okay. <laughs> and I haven't had, I haven't been a sober for a year in my life in the past 30 years. Mine was 40, so yeah. I got you beat. So when I was, since I was 14, I've never gone a year without drinking. I heard a gentleman share at a meeting one time, he said, uh, the longest I've gone without alcohol was 12 years. And he goes, then I turned 13. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I enjoy jokes like that because humor was, a, it was very important sure. to me in, in my sobriety. I didn't want to, because uh, when I was in the thick of it, I used alcohol as a crutch. I thought that's what kept me in a good mood. That's what helped me be creative. That's what made me funny. And looking back, I remember having a conversation with my dad. And my dad was, you know, Mike Scott. And uh, he was in TV. He was in radio. He was Darcy Willie's guy in the furniture. And I remember one time he had a heart-to-heart -to, -heart to me. He goes, Casey, 
and I get chills just saying it. He goes, I've seen you light up a room. I've seen you be so funny, but I've never seen you be funny drunk. And, you know, and I think back on my career and I think of all the highlights and the cool things I've done. I wasn't drunk for those. And for some reason, I fought to hold on to alcohol like no other. Lost an ex-wife, uh, lost jobs, and, and I fought for alcohol. And I don't know why, but I just couldn't let it go. And you see, I, I thought the same. I always thought my I, I went through four wives, okay? Got to beat again. Yeah, there you go. I'm, but I still I got, got time. Out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got plenty of time. Yeah. Uh, the, I always thought I was funny as could be while I was drunk. I thought I was creative as could be while I was drunk, and none of those were true. And now, I don't know about you guys, but when you go to a party and you see a bunch of people getting drunk, they're not, I mean, they keep repeating their stories. They're mm -hmm. not really very funny, even though everybody's laughing. And then you say, that was me. Yeah. You know. I've got, I've, so I still will go to parties with my friends because I, I kept my friends. They were really good friends and none of them have ever tried to get me to drink again. And I wanted to get back in that group. And I, slowly I'm getting invited back to parties and stuff like that. <laughs> but I Don't invite Casey. He's no fun. What, but, right? but that's not a joke. Like all of a sudden, I was just ending up on the back deck drinking beer by myself because my buddy's wives wouldn't let him go out with me. Uh, I would, you know, I would make a scene at every party, and they were just like, "Hey, we like you, but this is not worth it. This party's not just for you." And somehow you show up at this party, and it's all about you. I could walk into a party at any given point and find out where the hard liquor is and where the beer is that's going to be for later, and I would make sure everybody drank it. And when I would party, I would call up my friends the next morning, and it was more of a question. I'd be like, hey, we had a good time last night, didn't we? And I would wait. And hopefully they would say, yeah, it how, was. How did you, did you, before going out for the night, you had a plan. Mm -hmm. Did you always cover getting a ride home? Did that enter into your mindset? Sadly, no. Didn't. That's why you got your DUI. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I didn't. Because that's something that is, I, I was I'm super, though I drove drunk many times, I was always cognizant of that. If I, if I was driving, you know, not that I hadn't made a hundred mistakes. So you'd go out, and, and it's funny because I have some people that were invited to my, our wedding. I didn't want to go just for that reason because there's some people when they drink, they become larger than the event. They become... Everything revolves around them, positive and negative. They become me monsters. It's all about me. Me, yep. me, me, me. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I did the same thing he did when, when I'd wake up in the morning uh, because I blacked it towards the end. I blacked out every time I drank. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd say to my wife, first of all, I'd gauge her look, whether it's like... <laughs> Is she know, touching and, my leg? Yeah. Is she over on the very, very exactly. end of the bed? And, I, and I'd, I'd say... Oh, that was a good party last night, wasn't it? The same way you did. Yeah. You know? And she said, but you were an ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I it was, yeah, and that's how you would gauge it. And they would, you know, they either go, no, it was fine. And then I'd go, yeah. got to another yeah. one. Or they would go, you sure did. Well, Casey and I, Randall is very different from me in that he never broadcast once drunk. I used to. How about you? No, I mean, never drunk, but had there been like late nights till two, three in the morning, uh, had there been times that I had alcohol on me, not completely drunk, but, but then again, that's me just justifying it. But yeah, there was times that I had alcohol in me when I was broadcasting. It, 
And it's kind of a funny situation where you rationalize. I remember doing the first UNLV game with with Tim Never, who's now the voice of the Dodgers. And about an hour before, I just did the one mini bottle just to call my name. Oh, yeah. Which is patently ridiculous. Right. And, you know, you're in a situation like that. But it's funny, and there are a lot of broadcasters. There's a very, very, probably the top guy at ESPN, who we were down uh, for the Stanley Cup Finals a number of years ago, hanging out with the whole ESPN crew. And he showed up at the bar 20 minutes after the end of his broadcast and was pretty hammered. So you know that he was on the air drunk. And... and Harry Carey, there are a lot of... Yeah, well, yeah I mean, you, you look back to the I mean, the movie that made a million bucks, Anchorman, you know, with whiskey on the side yeah, and yeah. wearing shorts and a tie up top yeah. and smoking cigarettes. I mean, there wasn't... I mean, I've been in this industry 23 years, and they go back to when you guys were in your heyday. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And it was like that. I mean, it was... Every, I remember when I first got into the news, they go, we just stopped smoking in the newsroom. Right. And, and, and that was a big deal. And I, when I was first into radio, they're like, you can't smoke in the studios anymore. And, I, you know, my persona was larger than life that I thought that that didn't apply to me. That I would, in my head, I rationalized it. They want me this way. This is who they bought. They know this is Casey. This is who Casey Scott is. I started to believe in my own hype. This, you know, not to think that, no, they want me because I'm creative, I can tell a story, and I can get a good interview. They want me because they want to see the carnage. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's going to be good. <laughs> if it's bad, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so I used to tell everybody, and I did, I had the best job in the world because I was paid to go out and try things and experience them. And if I did it right, everyone was like, oh, that was cool. And if I did it wrong, it was, you know, slapstick funny. And people yeah. go, hey, good job. So I was like, how can I lose? I, I just have to go there and be me. I'm getting paid to be me. What I forgot along the way was who I was. And I got sucked up into it. And it happens. And it happens more than we like to admit. Well, we're talking about the downside, but this show is about addiction and recovery. So tell us the recovery part of the story. Now that we now that we've aired some so, of your dirty laundry. It's okay. And, and, and it's my story. And, and I like to tell it because I think if somebody can get anything from it, that's going to help them, then great. That's what I want to do. Uh, when I was, when my DUI happened, I checked myself into a detox center and went to Pinnacle Recovery. And we talked off air. That's where I'm working now. I'm doing. This PR is a new job for him. Yeah, I'm doing PR and admissions for Pinnacle Recovery. So we've got two famous TV people working in recovery centers. But what I love about you is that you left a very good TV gig right. to do this. Yeah, not to me. That's that's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I look at him, and I looked at him in my early career. I wanted to be Randall Carlisle, and when I had him on my podcast, I was like... You just couldn't... There's not enough plastic He's got better hair person. than me. He's got better style. He's got a better read. But I really looked up to Randall my whole career because he seems to be the gold standard of just what a good broadcaster was. And the fact that he fell in love with Odyssey House and wanted to go back and do that, that's really telling because Randall could do whatever he wanted to do. Sure. And, and so, yeah, and, and recovery is good. So, I'm, anyway, sorry for interrupting. No, you're this good. Is, this is amazing that both. That is pretty strange. We both love Bud Light. Mm -hmm. He did it for 20 years, or I did it for 40. Yeah. But, uh, I went through four lives. You only went through one. One. But so, you've got a ways to go. Yeah. If anyone at home is looking for a liver transplant, yeah. <laughs> maybe the three of us yeah. would not be the ideal. <laughs> so I'm working for a recovery center, but while I was in the recovery center, um, 
I mean, I was still in my addiction thinking, I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like those guys. I had went to a couple AA meetings and went in there and told myself, I'm not like you people. That's, I'm not like you people. I'm different. I'm different. And it wasn't until I was in the house that I realized. So two days into the house, I'm at Pinnacle Recovery Center. I'm sitting down in groups. There's guys in there for meth. There's guys in there for heroin. Yeah. And I remember I went up called my mom. I'm 45 years old. I called my mom. Mom. She goes, hey, what's going on? I go, I think I'm in the wrong place. She goes, what do you mean? I said, there's people in here for heroin and meth. I'm in here for but light. I, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And my mom, who, who never mixes words, goes, you're an idiot. That's exactly where you need to be. And it, and it was that's when the shift kind of happened is that my addiction was my addiction. You know, it, my drug of choice was just different than theirs, but it had just as much power over me as heroin did over them or cocaine did over them or meth. That's what I was doing. And so, the same thing going on in your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you go into recovery, it, it I, I never went through it. I, I just got through it cold turkey. But it, I remember my first meeting, and you're in there, and you feel better than everyone else, mm -hmm. which is a ridiculous. Or I don't fit in. Yeah. yeah. That kind of feeling. This isn't for me. Yeah. And slowly but surely, you got comfortable. So a couple days in it. Was there an aha moment when you talked to your mom or was it? You know, I think it was gradual over time. I spent 45 days there and, uh, you know, I, I tell people that I was the CEO of this company for 45 years and it didn't end well. So I was willing to let somebody else. But 45 days isn't a lot. And one of the things, by the way, we're going to throw a number up on the screen right now for those of you watching on Comcast and then Randall in his... Announcer Fine. voice. Announcer voice is going to give them. I'm right. glad you asked me that, Trip. <laughs> it's 801-322-3222. And this number is Odyssey House, and they have some great people standing by. And one thing that we really want to emphasize on this show is there is no right or wrong way. Right. Odyssey House is a tough program, the program you went through. A long program. Yeah. You know. And, and that's we, should, a, we should put uh, Pinnacle up as well. I've only been there for three weeks, so I don't have the number memorized. My God. We, but if you, 34 shows is when I finally remember. Yeah, but know. if you go to PinnacleRecoveryUT.com, there's a 24-hour number there, and there's kind of a, kind of goes over our program. You know, but it's interesting that you were talking about that the differences in the programs and there's different programs within the programs right you know pinnacle recovery do an individualized program for that person but when i speak i speak of my recovery because my recovery is not going to look like randall's it's not going to look like yours trip because it works for me and there's going to be some similarities in both of our, all three of our recoveries but i have found something that seems to be working for me right now and I'm not to say it's not going to be organic and then I'm going to have to add stuff and detract stuff because I think it's a forever process. And that's what I'm willing to do. And it, it's interesting that you say that. We had a guest a couple months ago who feels that, and she's involved in recovery as well, but more on the drug side, but she feels that she can now drink. And nothing that I've ever experienced in my recovery, which has gone on a, a few years, has ever led me to believe that. So I, I think that... You're 100 percent right. Recovery is an ongoing process. You know, but but I can't argue with that lady if she thinks that that's no. hers. Then no. then I think no. you do it. I'm not mm -hmm. willing to do that. I'm not willing to jeopardize what I've come so far in getting to try to take that for a test drive. That's what I call it. She she claims she's as opposed to recovering. She uses the word recovered, mm -hmm. and she said I can now drink socially, and and we when she was saying this on the podcast, I, you know, we we sort of. Because every alcoholic would love to think, 
wow, yeah. I, could, I could do that. I'm the one guy who yeah. can yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But in my opinion, it's not worth taking the risk. I mean, maybe, okay, I've been clean seven years. Maybe I could have a couple of drinks and be okay. But what if I'm not? Yeah. And so I'm not willing to risk that. And, then, and that's how I am. But I remember getting out of recovery and 45 days and I'm talking to my mom and my mom goes, guess we'll never have to do this again. And I go, I don't know. And she goes, how can you sit there after all you've been through tell me I don't know? And I said, mom, because I don't know. I don't know the future. I can tell you right now I don't plan on it. I can tell you the next 24 hours I don't plan on it, but I don't know the future. Right. I said, you're gonna ask me to tell you this is never gonna happen again because it makes you feel better. And I get that, you want to feel better about this situation, but that puts a lot of pressure on me because I can already hear in your voice if something ever to happen, go, I told you you couldn't do it and that's it. And I was like, I don't wanna have that pressure. So when people ask me, I go, I don't know. I'm just done right now. Right. And, and that process is in my brain, and that's what works for me. When I hear other alcoholics talk or drug addicts, when you hear the people that have a lot of sobriety underneath them, 10, 15, 20 years who go back out, and going back out is the term that we use for someone who drinks or drugs again, you hear that, that scares the crap. Me too. So you can never get... Complacent. You know, it, it, I remember when I first got sober, I would share that... Um, I would much rather have alcoholism as a disease than cancer because I, through willpower alone, I can theoretically beat. And I've you had can't cancer. You cure it, but you can deal sure. with it, right? And mm -hmm. I've had cancer. And I, I think in some respects, cancer, if you treat it and you get lucky, there's a finality where there isn't with alcohol. And it's something that I'll go weeks at a time not even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden you get a little trigger. And someone said to me once, it's that time that you have of sobriety that allows you to get through the tough parts. Mm -hmm. Most of the time not drinking after a certain period is pretty easy. No, I, I found it surprisingly easy not to drink. You know, I mean, I really have. And, I, I, people, and I, sometimes I feel bad because people want it to be a little bit harder. But for, for me right now, it's really easy. I've... So there's a term called the pink cloud. Yeah, yeah. Are you still going through it? No, I no, I got out of the pink cloud pretty quick. Pink cloud is when you first get sober, all of a sudden when you make that commitment that you really want to do this and make a lifestyle change, all of a sudden things are rosy. Yeah, it's God, life is wonderful. I'm never going to drink again or drug again. I, I you know, and, well, it, you and know, the pink cloud does leave. <laughs> yeah, well, and mine left pretty quick. I think you know it's. To, to go back to, remember when you were a kid and you'd go to a Rocky movie and then you'd come out and you're like, I think I can box because you just saw this inspiring story and you're ready to take on the world and then you fight with your brother and he whoops you and you go, <laughs> oh, I guess I'm not a good boxer because I've seen the movie. But it's the same thing with recovery because you're in there. It's a controlled environment. They're giving you all the tools. Everybody else is on the same page and you're like, yes, this is great. I can do this. And then you go out and then all of a sudden the real world smacks you in the face. And you still got to pay your mortgage. You still got to pay your alimony. You got to find a job. Uh, your kids are still mad at you. The world hasn't forgiven you yet. And so all these things happen. And so you go, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I got sober. You guys told me everything was going to get better. And well, it's and not. That's what I want to mention. So you were in for 45 days. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of programs. Uh, there's recovery centers you see on TV where it's 28 days. 28 days. Yeah. And my sense and this is just for me is that you need to plan on something maybe a little longer 
Yeah, and there's things called IOP, intensive outpatient programs. There's 12-step meetings. You need to have a plan after you're out of it. Uh, you know, and if you want to get into the, you know, the logistics of recovery centers and the insurance and all that stuff, it, 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 it'll drive you nuts. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that's all your insurance is going to pay is for 28 days. Sure. So would you take 28 days or no days? I'll take the 28 every day. Yeah, you're going to have some people talk to you about some things that yeah. have gone on. I mean, yeah, you're and they're going to give you some benefit. tools. But yes, you need to have an aftercare plan. You need to have a plan. And I think a lot of times people will leave a recovery center and not have that plan and go back into their old situations and think things were going to change, and they haven't. It, it's got to be a lifestyle change yeah. is what I believe. Yeah. You, you know, you've, you've got to you've got to adapt and figure things out. When, but, when I went through treatment, I remember them the first time I did, they said, they said, you got to clear all the booze out of your house. And I said, why? I said, okay, I'm not going to drink it, but we have friends over and stuff who drink. Yeah. And they said, really, you got to just clear it all out. And I did, and I thought that. And I relapsed after nine months, first time through. And second time through, I cleaned all the booze out of my house. <laughs> and I, you know, and, you know I, and I think there's certain people that you, you, you need to know your own self, and you got to know if that's a temptation. You know, when I got out of recovery, I'm the type of person that I had to do things that I did drunk sober and make sure I still liked them. So the biggest test for me, and this sounds silly, was going golfing. I love to golf and I love to drink and I combined the two. And it was, I didn't go to bars, but I turned the golf course into a bar. <laughs> I, I, it's funny how much alike you and I are. I, I, did, a, I did a beer a hole. Oh, and, and it was so- It was they, a slow day then. Yeah, right. Uh, but did you? <laughs> okay. But, but we did. I did the same thing. I, I'd say, "Honey, I'm going to play golf today," and, she, and, and the look on the face would be, "You're going to come home drunk." Yeah, and you're you going to sleep on the couch for four hours yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I've been there, done that. You know, so I when I got out, I wanted to force myself to go golfing, and it was it wasn't fun. But I, I mean, I, I remembered why I liked it. But now I've had a full season of golf behind me. I've dropped my handicap by four strokes. I, I'm, I'm enjoying the game. Yeah, but your recycling program is not near what it was. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, and that's the funny thing is, is at the country club that I go to up in Ogden, right before I went into recovery, they built a new bar. And I was like, you're not going to get your money back on this <laughs> right. one. Right. Uh, Casey's sober. They're well, like, give me bad planning. I lived in Arizona for a year, and it was illegal to take your own beers onto a golf cart. I still here, but that's yeah. a stop. Yeah. Yeah. We all, we all yeah. load our bags. Down yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's funny because I used to free, I'd put a 12-pack in, first thing in, in the morning in the freezer so it would slowly warm up. And, yeah. You know, the amount of time and logistics you spend on alcohol oh, is yeah. shocking. And so I was with a friend yesterday who I'd like to see stop. And she was bemoaning how her life is. And she goes, if I'm sober, it's bad. If I'm drunk, it's bad. That's why bars are a great business. <laughs> True. <laughs> and it's funny. Do you think that, that people are never going to quit until they all of a sudden had? Can you... Uh, for our viewers at home, can you get someone to quit or do they have to come up with it themselves? I mean, I tried to quit for my ex-wife, I tried to quit for my kids, I tried to quit for everybody, and I used that as my motivation. I never once said, I want to quit for me because I didn't think I had a problem. They did, so I'm gonna to try to quit for you. That didn't work. I tried to quit for my kids, that didn't work. My ex-wife used to go, why can't you just quit? Like, well, if it was that easy, I would have done it. And this is after <laughs> the years after that. But I think I think you can get people to notice things about themselves and maybe search for help. But unless they truly want it, they're not going to do it. So how did that affect you professionally? 
I had a pretty good career and did a lot of amazing things. And I talked about this on my podcast. I really didn't try. I mean, I worked hard at my craft and I did everything that it was asking and you were me. Good. And I was good. But I, now I sit back and I go, what would happen if I would have really given it my all? Where would I be today? What could I have done? And, 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 and you can't live in that space. But, I mean, I, I've lost jobs because of it. Is that specific? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did they say to you? Uh, that you can't be here. I mean, it was in my contract. Well, we all have a morals clause in our contract. If you bring disrepute to the station you're working for, they can't get rid of you. So where did you get, kind of go, give us a couple minutes where you started and where you ended up. So I started uh, up at Utah State. Uh, I was in a fraternity. And when I was 19, all my older buddies would go to the bar. And I couldn't go to the bar until I came up with an idea. I'm a DJ. So I would DJ the nights at the bar, and they never ID'd me. Aha! So I did that. We are very incentive. So kids, if you're out there watching. Yeah, but then now they ID DJs, and everybody's a DJ. So I DJed there, and my dad was in TV and radio. And when I got out, I got into radio down here in Salt Lake. I did a morning show uh, for 10 years. And, the, and I went to school for broadcast journalism. But I was doing radio, and I was the stunt boy. I was the guy that would go out and do the stunts. They were like, and which the, station was for 107.5, the end. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so I did that. And then after 10 years, I remember talking to the the program director, and they weren't gonna put my name on the show. And he literally, when I was 29 years old, said, "If you stay here, this is the best it gets." Perfect. Yeah. So this is the best it gets. And I said, "Thank you." I shook his hand and I left. And he goes, "What are you doing?" And I go. If this is the top of the mountain, I'm 29, I've got to go somewhere else. Well, at, at 29, that's a lot of longevity in radio. Radio yeah. is measured by the days, right? Yeah, yeah. The years. So do you think that if you were not drinking, that you would have been more aggressive and maybe... In no, I think that I ran my place at that course. I mean, I think that they weren't going to make... It wasn't going to become the Casey Scott show. It was, it was the Chunga and Mr. Show. And those were the two guys. I love morning radio. Yeah, yeah. And Randall started at, at the number one station in the Midwest yeah. and uh, CKLW. And, and yeah. the morning names of the shows are crazy. And, and uh, I did morning radio for one year. It killed me. Oh, It's hard to have fun the night before when you've got to be up at yeah. two. Well, sometimes you just kept the party going. Yeah. I got in some trouble for that. Yeah. And I, and I had gotten some trouble for that, too. So after uh, I left radio, I used to fill in for Allie McKay, who used to be on Fox right. 13. Right. And so I, you know, I would fill it first. And so Channel 2 were getting ready to put their, uh, their, their, their feature person on there. And I auditioned and got the job. And then I stayed there for 12 years. And I was, my job was to go out there and experience life and showcase little businesses that don't have an advertising budget. Be a part of the community. And I remember my boss goes, we want it to be anytime anybody sees Casey on TV, they're having fun. That's what your job is. We wanted to have fun because the news is so dark. And, and Channel 2, <clears throat> I've noticed I lived here for a year or excuse me, six, seven years in the 80s and then came back a couple of years ago. It used to be none of the stations mentioned alcohol or anything. And now when I move back, I noticed that they'll mention beer, they'll mention the market is cheap. Yeah, I think coffee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and I think that's just the progression of yeah. the, the society yeah. now. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so then I did radio and TV and TV, and then it all came crashing down. Tell me about the crash. So I was just coming home from a day of golf and <laughs> got a DUI and ran into a family. And yeah, it wasn't good. 
And I remember laying down on my back, staring up at the sky, and uh, sirens are flashing. And at that point, that was my rock bottom. And I could have been in prison. I could have been in jail for the rest of my life. And somehow I got a second chance. And at that point, I decided I was going to do something good with this second chance. And that's when I came up with the podcast to share people's stories and show them that recovery is possible. And although you have made mistakes in your life, you're not defined by your mistakes. I think it's not what happens when you get knocked down. It's what you do after. And I wasn't going to stay down. How did you get with KSL? Because when I heard that your show was on KSL, I was a little surprised. I was working with KSL. I was doing their morning stuff when the accident happened. And KSL was very good to me. Uh, They put me in the recovery center. They kept me in there and they kept me insured and they made sure. And I I was in the recovery center. I would call them and I would say, hey, it's a joke. I go, hey, HR, it's Casey. Uh, you know, hey, what's going on? Just, you know, because I wanted to find out if I was going to have a job and what was going to happen. And they said, you know, don't worry about that. Just fix yourself. Just get better. Do what you need. Stay there as long as you need and just do that. So I uh, did. I just stayed in there and I never once asked, how long am I going to be here? And I remember my therapist goes, hey, how come you never asked how long you're going to be here? I said, I figured you guys would tell me. Yeah, you come back and your bed is stripped. Yeah, you know, I'd be like, I, you know, and so when I was in there, I saw the real face of addiction. And I saw police officers, first responders, mothers up on the hill, and I'm sitting in a group and this is the real face of addiction. And I, and I said to myself, I said, nobody's talking about it in these terms. When we talk about addiction, we talk about a room of AA, a bunch of people that are just grumpy, mad, or the people that are down at Pioneer Park. Yeah. And that's what most people see as addiction. They don't see the guy that works at the bank, the newscaster, or the guy at Maverick, or any of that. And that's the real face of addiction. So I said, I want to do a podcast. And I came up with the idea of the podcast in recovery. And I so much of the fact that my housemates were like, shut up. Quit talking about this podcast. And I go, I'm going to do it. So as soon as I got out, I went to KSL. And they said, unfortunately, we're going to have to let you go because of the contract. And I said, I understand. And they said, we got to shut the door. And I said, I understand. They go, but we're not going to shut it tight. Do you know what we mean? And I said, I, I think so. I've had some girlfriends say yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. they said, we are going to shut it tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and, and I said, but I've got this idea for a podcast. I want to do it, and I want to tell my story and invite other people on here. And Tanya, this, the VP, she's amazing. She goes, okay. She goes, i got one thing you're going to need. And I go, what's that? They go, you need a doctor as your co-host. And I knew a doctor. He was going to do a podcast with me a, a year before until I messed it up. And I said, hey, would you be willing to do this? He's a licensed psychologist, works at the University of Utah, Dr. Matt Woolley. He said, I'll do it. And so he came down and we, we just started going. And it's called Project Recovery. Um, we've got over 150,000 downloads. I think we too are international. Uh, you know, and how can people catch it? Where do they? Anywhere you get podcasts, just Project Recovery. Same, same thing as this podcast. Yeah, yeah. 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 iTunes, any. Yeah. yeah, and what I found is that people really enjoy telling their stories, especially those in recovery. That is an amazing part of it. Yeah. Is that we all give up our anonymity at some point because you're you're in this situation and you get sober, you get clean because of help of so many people. Mm-hmm. 
And giving back, there's an expression, you, in order to keep it, you've got to give it away. Mm-hmm. And so telling the stories, I mean, I've, I've had some amazing people tell stories, and they're people that do just speakers' meetings, and yeah. they just are amazing that way. You know, I, two, two, three days out of recovery, I'm taking my son, he's eight years old, into Maverick. And uh, we walk into Maverick, and uh, he goes, hey, this is my dad. He used to be on TV, but he's not a drunk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat there, and I was like, oh. And And I thought about it for a minute, and I went, he's right. And I leaned down, and we gave him a high five, and we went, because he was proud. He didn't say it in the proudest way, yeah, but that's right. what he meant. He goes, my dad's not a drunk anymore. And I remember talking to my therapist afterwards and they go, how long are you going to let that go? And he goes, you should let it go as long as they, they want to do it. Sure. I still leave and my middle child will go. And it doesn't happen so much anymore, but for the first three months, because I have split custody with my wife, ex-wife, and she'd be like, hey dad, how you doing? I'm doing good. No drinks? <laughs> no drinks. Yeah. Is being back in broadcasting, is it a trigger for you at all? No, it's not. The one thing that I found out that I like more than Bud Light is, is proving people wrong. Because there was a lot of people when this happened that says, you'll never get it back. So my um, biggest faux pas was we were doing a football game, and they give you a telestrator, which allows you to draw the play on the screen. Right. And I was drawing um, penises on the screen. I'd have the wide receiver go up and do a circle route and come back. And yeah. thought I was the most amusing person in the world. And uh, my, now my business partner was our producer at the time. And he sentenced me to do two Pop Warner games on TV just to penalize me. And I ended up meeting some great people and had a lot of fun doing it. So you, you get kind of used to broadcasting. under. And by no means was I drunk yeah. a lot. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. But certainly you, it became a trigger that... How can I do this again? How can I do games? How can I do other stuff sober and have as much fun? And as it turns out, you can. Yeah. It's, it's not the trigger. But you got to go through it to find out. I did the same thing with golf. I thought, God, I'm always drunk when I'm playing golf, so if I'm not drunk, my game's going to be terrible. Yeah. And it, it, it ended up, the first time I played sober, I had the same score as when I played drunk. Yeah. So. Well, we lie to ourselves and go, you know, a four-beer buzz is perfect for my swing. I'm yeah, not thinking right. about anything. Yeah. But the reality is you never kept it at a four-beer buzz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. pool was the, I grew up in Michigan. Oh, yeah. I, I played better. I played better sure. drunk. And then, I do know people who do. I mean, I'm not saying that, but, I, I, but then again, I've never seen him play sober. Well, you know? that's a good point. And bowling is another sport that is very linked to alcohol. Though I noticed that the professionals don't seem to drink when they're playing for a living. To go back to pinnacle recovery, I, I we had this thing, and Odyssey House is there for all the events too. Sober softball. Sober softball. It's Big huge. Time. It's, all across the country. Sober softball is amazing. And that's the first time that I've played softball sober since I was 14. <laughs> you know, and, and I said, why do we do this? And they go, to show you that you can do stuff you love sober and still have fun. And that's really what it was. It was proven to yourself that you can. I mean, I would have a drink before I'd go to a movie. You know, oh, me too. I mean, how about mini bottles? Yeah, I mean, we, you're older than me. I don't. We never had mini bottles. <laughs> mini bottles were God's but way of saying that. But skiing, <laughs> skiing was the same thing. Absolutely. To have two beers in here and then go do two runs and then go there. I mean, yeah. you just associated everything. So now I just associate different things with right. it. And this year, I'm taking my kids. We're all getting season passes, and that's what we're gonna do. And cool. we're gonna create new uh, 
adventures, you know, where it's not alcohol. But I think for the longest time, I say alcohol was driving shotgun with me, but in all reality, alcohol was driving. Yeah. Hmm. I was riding shotgun. So working for Pinnacle House, what? tell me about, I know you've only been there for a couple of weeks. Do you get up in the morning and are you excited to go to work? It's amazing. I was telling Randall, I, I drove a kid today from Ogden uh, to the, the center and had 45 minutes with him. And the reason I chose Pinnacle is because I've been through the program and I know it. And this kid looks at me and goes, why are you doing this? And I go, because somebody did it for me. And he goes, thanks. And that's and that, that's that really, had to be one of the scariest 45 minutes of his life. Oh, but but the thing <clears> is, <throat> is sure. I'm, I'm talking to him and I go, I was just there where you were a year ago. And I, you know, I can relate. I, your, your head's swimming. You're trying to figure it out. You're going to a new place. You're scared. You're, you're scared. How old was he? Uh, he was mid-30s. Okay. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, and you go from being maybe the king of your world, and it's a, it's a world that's slipping. Yeah. To going into recovery. That has to be so scary because, you know. You're, you're yeah, I mean, I still had three kids. I had an ex-wife. I had a house payment. I had alimony and all that. And then I find myself at 45 in a detox center having to call my mom going, Hey, Mom, will you go look at this recovery center? I'm supposed to be the man of the house. I'm supposed to have this all figured out. And the reality is I don't have any of it figured out. And I'm lost. So I have to call my mom and go, I know, it's your 45-year-old son. Would you go look at this yeah. place and tell me if we can do this? And she probably was one of the best phone calls she's ever gotten. She wrote on Facebook. And I mean, I didn't think I'd get so emotional on this. But she wrote a letter to Pinnacle Recovery and said, thank you for giving me my son back. So... We're going to post on the screen how people can get the website for Pinnacle Recovery, yep. certainly, as well as Odyssey House. And again, these the reason that Randall and I are doing this podcast along with Lee, our producer-director, is that we have been helped by a lot of people who, and I can remember, I'm somewhat of a yo-yo, I've been in and out. Yeah. And, and your big regret is someone spends a lot of time working with you, you go back out and you're so embarrassed to go, I've switched meetings, I've done a lot of things. But they all want you to succeed, and it's sure. non-judgmental, because they know this is a very difficult thing. And there is no one center that works for everybody. I mean, so you need to do research and find out what's best for you. you and I, I would suggest doing your research before you need it. <laughs> well, no, I'm not chasing. But I bet but, you people do that. Yeah, but but uh, parents. You know, I mean, I, there's some inklings and there's some there's some warning signs. <laughs> Inkling, yeah. Yeah. yeah, warning signs that maybe their kids are doing this or that. You know, I, I would find out the insurance. I would find out, you know, what their program is, what what they do. I mean, there's a checklist if you go to our website, projectrecovery.com, uh, uh, that will have a checklist that you could spend an afternoon and call these. We did that uh, thing up at We Are One Recovery in Ogden. It was a great resource for families to come in here, and they all walked away with the binder. A just-in-case binder. That Good you, idea. That you might no, need. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. And so, in, in your situation, you're out. You're you're working for a place that you love. Mm -hmm. You're doing a podcast that's making a difference. 150,000 downloads. Yeah. Means that this is not casual people listening. Yeah. That that means that people have heard your show. 
and have recommended it to other people, and it's kind of spread. But it's not my show. It's it's the addicts, the loved ones that come in that share their story. I'm just lucky enough to be the guy that's asking them the questions. Right. But it wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't so many people coming forward and sharing their story and that recovery is possible. One of the things that I've learned from this show is that the church is much more active in LDS Church in recovery than one would have suspected. Yeah. As being a non-member, I never, and we met a couple weeks ago, we had a woman who's uh, actually doing her mission to spread the word of recovery within the church, and that the church is recognizing that you can be great on Sundays, but there are challenges. Yeah, we've got, we've had a couple of people on the podcast where, you know, the church has implemented their own 12-step. And so they've got their own. Right, it's their version. Their it's version. Pretty of similar. It. Yeah, it, it, it's very similar. They give you a workbook, but it's it's just understood who your higher power is. Right. right. You know. Sure. And but I've been in meetings where people, before they want to get the message, they're going to spend three months arguing about who their higher power is. <laughs> it, it is amazing. And yeah, I remember my first sponsor. You know, and the the God thing, part of a twelve step program is recognizing a higher power, but. They don't specify who that is. Or no, that no, is. I mean, I think that's been changing. You know, I mean, sure. in the beginning it was. I, th I think you go back to saying the church is more accepting. I think the world's more accepting. I think it's becoming more of a, a conversation than a backdoor conversation. And like we say in, in addiction, addiction doesn't discriminate. It does not. I, I mean, I don't know how many times I would hear this, you know, like they go, Oh, that happened to Casey. Oh, he comes from good parents. Yeah. He comes from such yeah. good stock. Like that's gonna. That's why I shouldn't become an addict. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And yeah. the reality is, is that those people, all of us, are clients of addiction, sure. or possible clients of addiction. I, I promised him I would get him to a meeting at KSL. So we need to. Okay, we need to wrap. We have had a wonderful show. Thank, Thank you very much. Appreciate thank you so yep. much for coming Casey, on. Casey, I appreciate it. Well, don't leave. Yes. Don't don't hug. Don't no. stay right okay, here. We're gonna do our team picture. I mean, my, okay. My gosh. Yeah. Blood life. Yeah. Decades of drinking. Golf. Golf. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you. You know, I didn't hang out with you because you'd be competition for the yeah. ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's good rationale there. So we've got a couple numbers up on. We have Pinnacle House's number up, and they have 24-hour. It's not Pinnacle House. It's Pinnacle, Pinnacle Recovery. Pinnacle Recovery. Yeah. I get the name of our show wrong. It's, That's not, right. it's yeah. Odyssey House. Yes. Odyssey House Pinnacle Recovery. Recovery. That's yeah. it. So the number's up on the screen, and you have someone answering the phone 24-7? Yeah, there's someone there that will answer the phone. Perfect. And the reason to pick up a phone and call is not that one place is better than another, but just talk to someone. If you've got a loved one, if you're concerned about it, there are so many people in Utah who are out there to help. Yep. And that's the amazing part, and people are willing to do it. Randall, show number 35. We have our guest for show 36. And here's the check for 10000 that oh. your agent needs. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. It's, a, it's in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. of course it is. Casey, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Take care. Goodbye, everyone.